Jeremy Lincoln is live. It is Thursday night, December 9th, year of our Lord, 2021. Jam-packed wall-to-wall, high top downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Gordon Gecko once famously said in the 80s, greed is good, greed is right. I don't know how you feel about that, but how do you feel about bias? Because there's a lot of it allegedly, in our sport right now. Is it good? Is it right? Is it accurate? Has it poisoned the playoff well entirely? Well, we will discuss because there's a very popular video floating around there in the ether, and I have gotten my hands on it, and we will discuss it tonight. We are also going to present, as I told you we would, the perfect college football calendar. We've been hard at work on it, been chiseling it away here, and I crowdsourced some ideas from you, and so we've got it for you tonight. We'll do that in just a few minutes. The transfer portal is still on fire, still burning. You see that smoke in the distance. Maybe it's getting closer and closer to your program, depending on where you live. I got some new guys even within the last few hours uh, that have gone in there. Florida's really hot right now, at least in terms of a program to watch, LSU program to watch. Obviously, something big's eventually going to happen with Quinn Ewers. Maybe Texas, maybe as early as this weekend. Texas Tech not out of this. We will discuss. And Kirby Smart. Under fire, I put in the promotional tweet, the Kirby Smart conundrum. A lot of, um, I won't say haters, a lot of criticism out there, though. Is it warranted? Here's what's warranted. Make sure you're following on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. As some of you have noted, I've been doing a lot of appearances over the past week or so, which was planned. That's kind of the way that I work the schedule. Once we get out of the regular season and through Conference Championship Saturday, there's some time to do those things. So I'm doing those. We're not done with that. There are some really interesting potential partnerships slash collaborations still to come. Who knows? Colin, Jesse, maybe you'll even see one or two on this show. We'll see. So make sure you're following on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. I can't believe some of you. I thought I knew you guys better than this. I cannot believe that I was looking in the live chat and I'm looking on the eye, Josh, and some of you are actually watching the College Football Awards show. That's the first thing. And the second thing is you're upset by it. And I've told you, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, the key to college football awards is have no expectation. Not low, no expectation. That's the only way you'll never be disappointed. I have no expectation for this stuff. And so I'm never disappointed by it. You saw me go off the rails about the Heisman the other day, but when it comes to the general awards, no, no, no. That is my expectation level. No, no, and no. So I'm good tonight. I don't know about you, but I'm fine. I am unaffected by this. Let's dive into the show. I'm ready to show you this calendar, but we're not leading with it. The calendar, I mean, listen, I think it's going to do no less than revolutionize the entire sport, but uh, we're doing that in a few minutes. Kirby Smart and Georgia, what you think now? And what did you think this time last week? Has it changed? If you're a Georgia fan, has it changed? If you're a, a Wichita State fan and you don't even, I don't know if you guys have a football program, but you watch Georgia football, do you care? And has it changed your opinion? A lot of people's opinion has changed right now. Uh, this is not a message to be clear to all Georgia fans. It sounds like I'm going to get a little aggressive here, but I'm not. Well, I am. I'm just not directing it at all of you. And Colin, to be clear, I, um, you know what, we'll just go with it. The Georgia fan base right now is in a very, very tough spot. I call it the Kirby Smart conundrum. You're looking at this team, if you're watching on YouTube right now, in Crimson, and you keep running into them, and you keep falling down, and this year you're favored against them, and you keep falling backwards. And so, I mean, what are you supposed to think? On one hand, you know the level you recruit at. You know the level you're invested in. And so you expect maximum return on that investment. I understand all that. I've told you before I have no problem with that. Uh, but you don't get it until you beat that team, and you keep not beating that team. And so you're aggravated, and I understand, nor do I have any problem. I don't have any issue with that, but I got an email the other day. Maybe it was a DM. 
And it said, paraphrasing here, at what point does Josh Brooks have to start having a serious conversation with Kirby Smart? Uh, that's the AD up there. What, what, at what point does he have to start having a conversation with him? So I laugh because I think it's funny. Uh, not the situation you're in, but the suggestion that is entailed in an email like this. So let's just talk this through, shall we? Let's just speak this out loud together. And here's the second and final preface. This is not directed at all Georgia fans. However, if you do find yourself in the class of folks who really believe that it's time to start thinking about at least having a serious conversation with Kirby, translation, you better tell him, you lose again, gonna have to do something. Ah, yeah, that's the crowd I wanna talk to. So, so I get an email and it says, maybe it's time to have a conversation with Kirby Smart. I wanna have a conversation with you if you think it's time to have a conversation with Kirby Smart about his job status. Kirby Smart, according to Wikipedia, 45 years old. Nick Saban, when he got to Alabama, Take a guess at how old he was. He's 70 or 71 right now. He was 55 years old when he got to Alabama. That's a decade and a half ago. He, at that time, when he first got to Alabama, was 10 years older than Kirby is right now. What are we saying to get down to the crux of things? What are we saying? Are we telling this guy right here who's averaging like 10 and a half or 11 wins a year, are we telling him because you can't beat the greatest of all time in your early to mid 40s, that's it. You know, we've, we've seen you try enough times. We, we got to move on. We got to find someone else. Is that what we're really saying right now? I think even the most radical amongst us understands how insane that would be. That's the knock, though. Like, that's the knock on Kirby Smart. He can't beat the greatest of all time. Hey, newsflash, look in the SEC West. The entire thing's in turmoil. Look at the SEC over the past 15 years. The entire thing's been turned upside down. There have been coaching changes everywhere. No one can beat him, him being Nick Saban. No one can do it. Gus Malzahn did it about as good as anyone, and even he got fired. Even he's not in the conference anymore. And so then you get all the usual criticisms. Well, Josh, he needs to adjust offensively. He did. He hired Todd Monk a couple years in now as offensive coordinator. Well, but Josh, he hasn't adjusted his offensive approach. Where's our good quarterbacks? Well, he went and got JT Daniels. He's been hurt. Well, yeah, but where's his five-star quarterbacks from high school? We got Brock Vandergriff last cycle. He's a true freshman. Okay, but we need more speed at receiver. You got Arian Smith, probably the fastest skill guy in the country in the last recruiting cycle. He's out. He's injured right now. That's just the way it is sometimes. There are a lot of criticisms that have been lobbed Kirby Smart's way. Some of them have layers of validity to them. But when you come down to an honest evaluation of anything, it's not just an A or an F. Imagine if that's the way you got handled in school. You either get an A or you get an F. Well, I'm not here. Chances are you're probably not here. You have layers of evaluation just like you have layers of any kind of evaluation in any walk of life. So should you be happy that you lost against Alabama? Heck no. You should be enraged by it. I'm from Georgia. I know how you guys feel. And you're justified in that feeling. But understand how to this is hard to do, temporarily just move the emotion over to the side of the table and understand how we're supposed to evaluate anything here. Kirby Smart is doing a lot of really good things at Georgia. If I were to ask you, what if he never beats Saban? Saban coaches another five years, let's say. What if Kirby Smart never beats Nick Saban? Let's say he goes up against him three more times. The dude ends up 0-7 against Nick Saban. If Saban retires in five years, Kirby Smart will be 50 years old, you'll have a program that has recruited at an elite level for over a decade at that point. And Kirby will be five years younger than Saban was when he got to Alabama. And Kirby will then be in a Sabanless SEC and a Sabanless, a post-Saban college football, a PSCFB, if you will. Where will Georgia football be? Answer, probably positioned as good as anyone to dominate over the next 10 or 15 years in their own right. 
Uh, do I think he's going to go over against Nick Saban? No, I think the simple law of mathematics says eventually he'll get one or two. But even if he doesn't, like, I don't think folks fully understand what the situation is here. Nick Saban, again, if you're just tuning in, 55 when he got to Alabama. Kirby's 10 years younger than that right now. So Nick Saban has screwed the sport up for everyone else. Like everyone, including the playoff expansionists out there, are trying to adjust everything about themselves because of one guy. If I did nothing else in this sport, but just took that one guy out of it, think about how many more would still have a job out there right now. Think about how much lower the volume would be on a lot of the playoff expansion talk. Let's keep in mind, this really all started in earnest when you got the rematch in 2011, and then you've had Alabama in the conversation, and that's really been the mainstay. If you look around, everyone talks about how it's the same teams. No, it's not. It's the same team that's normally there, with the exception of, I think, one season. Clemson's been there, but they've also not been there. Ohio State's been there, but they've also not been there. And in Kirby Smart's case, Dude's beating everyone else. There's one guy. If I were to just remove that one guy, wow, how different this sport would be. Now, it is my personal and humble opinion that we shouldn't take the sport and look at it as broken or look at a coach and say he's broken and turn everything about every entity in the sport upside down just because of the impact one other entity is having, especially when it's a head coach who I think we all largely agree at this point is the greatest of all time. That's my feel on Kirby Smart right now. I don't know what they're going to do. Look, they could be, for all I know, en route to winning a national title this year. They may rematch against Alabama, and they may win. Hey, by the way, you, you think some folks are freaked out right now. How much is it going to freak you out when those teams face off again and Georgia's still favored? Because that's going to happen. I don't know why. I'm not chewing gum. I don't know why I did that. Uh, Georgia asked some folks before we went on air today, probably about a one, one and a half point favorite. So a lot closer to zero which is a huge adjustment, by the way, from the six and a half points that they were favored by over Alabama. Uh, point being, I think that if you do see that rematch again, I think you'll be fascinated at what the odds maker's opinion is versus what the mass public opinion will be. So let's just give Kirby Smart a little more rope. That's all I'm asking for. I am a well-documented Georgia hater, according to certain YouTube commenters, but I am begging with you, let's give Kirby a little more rope. Think he's doing okay. Don't think it's time to, uh, as someone so eloquently put it, pull the plug on Kirby Smart quite yet. Don't think it's time. I do think it's time. Oh, I put him over there. I got a whole new treasure trove of Academy Sports and Outdoors gift cards. So I do think it's time for Academy. But then again, I always think it's time for Academy. I got an email from our Academy reps today, mainly just to say what's up and did you check your mail? Which I did, and I said yes. And they said, just tell the crowd, tell the audience, tell that Late Kick fam, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and all the in-between, because they, I think they have stage fright, to be honest with you. Like, I keep an extra chair over here, as you can see, um, but I think our Academy folks are best served to work their magic behind the scenes. Where you're best served is to be at Academy Sports and Outdoors, this time of year especially. I was looking through all the folks. Believe it or not, I started to compile a Christmas list. And I was looking at that list. And believe it or not, there was not a single name on my Christmas list that I could not find at least something at Academy Sports and Outdoors for. And here's the real blessing. You want to know about a Christmas miracle. Let's see, where do I want to go? Let's go to Salem, Oregon. If you're living in Salem, Oregon, as many in our audience tend to do, and you don't have an academy sports and outdoors around the corner, but you do have a laptop 
or you do have an iJosh or its close neighbor, the iPhone, you can just go to academy.com. It's fine. And you can get everything there and then some maybe that you can get in the physical store. But you get the same quality product and you contribute to a very good cause. That cause, of course, being helping our show in the process. So Academy Sports and Outdoors is there for every single thing on that tailgating list and that Christmas wish list and pretty much everything in between. A lot of lists out there these days. You know, there's also a calendar that I, I've been mulling this over for a little while. As we can see right now, clearly December is broken in college football, but I think a lot of our scheduling infrastructure is broken. So I, t I went to Colin and I went to Jesse and I went to our entire team here and I said, we got to fix this. If no one else is going to do it. We got to do it. Now you're talking to a future college football commissioner here. And so you don't just spout off nonsense. You got to actually put functional ideas behind the platform. So tonight, Colin, I think this is a good endpoint here. Tonight, what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at a lot of what's broken about our schedule and our calendar in college football, and I wanted to fix it. Now, I'm not a negative Nancy. I know there is a whole lot more good about this sport than there is bad, and we normally focus on the good. But tonight, let's just focus on the bad for a few minutes with some tangible answers. We're going to give you the what we think is wrong, and then the why, and then the how we're going to fix it. And what we're doing is we're going to lay out a foundational part of my future college football commissionership campaign platform. This is going to be the bedrock. This is going to be the foundation on which everything else is built. And what it is, it is a totally revolutionized college football calendar. Right now, this sport is still looked at as being seasonal. And yeah, they do something in the spring. Think it's a spring game. What do they call that thing? Uh, but by and large, college football is you come in September and October, November, December, and then there's a title game in January. And then there's ugh, this word they use, offseason. People say that. When I'm college football commissioner, there will be no off-season. We will own 365 days of that calendar. And even if you don't want to come to the trough in spring, I'm going to force you to. And it's going to be for your own good. So here's what I'm thinking. And to be clear, before we go through all of this, this is what we wanted to accomplish. The first thing is we have to fix the December issue. There is a critical problem that we have in the sport right now. I think it is all predicated on where the early signing day is. So we will be getting rid of this early signing day in December. We will be moving it. We'll show you where momentarily. I also think it is imperative for the growth of this sport that we take ownership of spring and we don't have to do anything new. What we have to do is harness what we already own, control the things we control, but just move them around a little bit and harness them and get all the juice out of the squeeze. And I'm about to show you exactly what I'm talking about. We're going to make spring a cannot miss event, not just the spring game, not just spring practices. We're going to totally change spring because we're going to totally change the way we schedule in college football. More on that in just a second. And the last thing I wanted to do is I wanted to rethink the entire recruiting process and I wanted to rethink the entire recruiting schedule. And so forget about the talking. Let's just lay it out. We'll start in January. Now, January is not going to change a whole lot compared to what we already have. We are going to have the back half of the playoffs and then we're rolling into the national championship game and the January calendar, I don't think I have a great big issue with. But then when we get into February, if you're looking on the screen right now, you still see national signing day in February. Well, that doesn't seem all that different. It will be very different because early signing day is going to move. It's going to move several months. And I think early signing day is not going to be nearly as busy as it is right now. Right now, it's like an 80-20 early signing day, regular signing day 
commitment spree, and that ratio has rendered the February signing day kind of secondary, if anything, and not nearly as many people pay attention to it. We're going to make that February signing day matter a whole lot more again. Here's where it gets really juicy, and I want you to listen very, very closely. I was listening to the Pac-12 commissioner the other day, and I was mad that he got it out there before we could get our calendar released, but he is so dead on the money. This concept of scheduling games five years and 10 years in advance is gone. You might as well wad it up and throw it over your shoulder in the trash. When I am college football commissioner, you're not finding out who you're playing until the spring of that year. Right before we kick off spring practice, we are releasing your non-conference schedule. This will probably coincide with partnerships between conferences, because I know otherwise it can be kind of messy. You are finding out your non-conference schedule at the beginning of spring practice. Then you have spring practice the same way it's always worked, and it's going to go through March, and it's going to go into April. You will then have your spring game, and I want to make this one very clear too. No longer are we going to let a golden opportunity in the spring pass us by. If you want to schedule an FCS team for your spring game, you are totally free to schedule an FCS team and give them that paycheck for your spring game. So if you don't want to put the cupcake, as you would call them, on your regular season schedule, but you still do want to help those programs financially and selfishly, you want to get a television product so you can turn a buck or two yourself for your spring game, you are now free to do that. You don't have to do it. So anyone who's complaining about that, do your spring game however you want to. But if you're Texas A&M and you want to schedule Prairie View, be my guest and pay him 725 grand in the process as ESPN pays you a flat million dollar television fee to broadcast that spring game, go for it. When we conclude spring practice and when those spring games are wrapped up, we will then have another tent pole event to conclude spring, and that, my friends, is when we are releasing that year's conference schedule. It will fall right in line thematically with how the NFL releases their schedule. So if you're Alabama, you will not know when you play Arkansas, you will not know if you play South Carolina, even if we have divisions the same way we do now, until after spring. The pushback I get on this will be 99% from coaches because they wanna prepare well in advance, and I'm just gonna look at you guys. You know I love you, and I appreciate all you guys who listen. You have it well within your power to take four or five months and get ready for a game. Most of you know each other like the back of your hand anyway, so please don't complain about this. The greater good is being served here. I think you've got the entire summer. You can put a game plan together to play uh, Michigan uh, as opposed to having to know that you're playing them five years down the road. We just own spring. We had tentpole schedule release events at the beginning and end of spring. You can play an actual game. You can schedule an opponent in the spring game if you want to. So then we go into May. And May and really the beginning of June, that is transfer portal season. I'm not for the portal being open 24-7, 365. I want to close that thing up and have transfer portal windows. This is when that portal window is going to open up. I'm TBD on where the other portal windows will be. But this is a big portal window, and obviously, because I'm about to move early signing day, when you get to May and June, this is critical recruiting time. It really already is, but now it's gonna be even more so critical because of what I'm about to say. When we get to July, we're already almost to the season, by the way, and we haven't taken a breath. When we get to July, we're gonna have media days at the beginning to middle portion of July, and then it is the home stretch run. You've got camp coming up, opening in August, but before that, the early signing day moves from the middle of December to the end of July. 
two things this is going to accomplish. It greatly alleviates this hodgepodge of coaches moving all over the place and we're trying to get hires here and we don't know if we can take kids because of the transfer portal in December and so much mess we're about to clean up because we're moving early signing day to late July. Here's the second thing it does. It lets you know very early on whether you have a committable offer or not. Some kids go through their entire senior year and then they get right up to that deadline. We're gonna come up on it next week. And you don't know your entire senior year whether your offer is committable or not because coaches are slow playing you, waiting to the last minute. Nope, you're gonna find out before your senior year. So if you're a can't miss, and I'm Texas, and I feel comfortable enough offering before I've seen your senior film, which is the kind of guy who should be going on early signing day anyway, and you just wanna get the process out of the way, you do it. I would imagine we are greatly going to reduce the amount of kids who are actually signing on early signing day thus rendering that February signing day all the more important. So then we get to August. Those coaches breathe a giant sigh of relief on one hand because they already have early signing day out of the way. And they have February signing day like the old days in the distant horizon. August, camp's open. You know what this is about. September, October, November, you have the schedule that we announced mere months ago instead of decades ago. Then we get to December. We have conference championship Saturday. We have the playoff reveal. And then we, instead of going crazy and having the early signing date coming up and having coaches moving all over the place, here's what I would love to institute. I don't know if I'm gonna have the authority yet. I would love to institute a total dead period, a non-tampering period, if you will, kind of like the NFL does, where you do not go after coaches, whether it's gentleman agreement, which doesn't exist in this game, or more than likely whether it is actual legislation that my office passes, of course, as the commissioner, where you cannot go hire coaches until after the national championship game happens. And so that is how I would like this new college football calendar to work. I think we just took over spring. I think we greatly alleviated the recruiting problems and early signing day in December. I think a lot of coaches are gonna be on board with the recruiting side of it. I think a ton of staffs would be against not knowing their opponents until they're going into spring because their argument would be, we need to know our opponents because we like to dedicate portions of spring practice to working on those opponents. This is not final. I am gonna meet with all of you guys. You will be able to voice your concerns to me. And if I need to move that scheduling around, maybe I announce the conference schedule at the beginning of spring and we announce non-conference at the end of spring, whatever. I'm tired of this being a seasonal sport. People using the word off season to talk about this sport, no more. No, not when we're in charge. So that is our new college football calendar. I'm gonna release this on Twitter at the end of this show. I'll be very interested to get your feedback. A lot of you contributed to this. A lot of you had varying degrees of takes. There are some things, for example, that I'm still workshopping that I couldn't put in there. For example, the ways maybe that certain things happen. Like for example, some of you like the idea of taking the first round of the playoffs and playing them before Christmas. Instead of waiting the whole time and then playing the playoff semifinal and then having the title game like a week later. I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't mind that. I, I'm not married to it, but that's the kind of back and forth that I'd love to have. So that is our calendar. I welcome any and all feedback. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The transfer portal is on fire. Has been for a little while. I don't think this is going to subside anytime soon. I wanted to get you updated on the very latest. Uh, this is big. If it hasn't already impacted your program, uh, check your watch. It's about to. Jacob Copeland has entered the transfer portal as of a few hours ago. He is out of Florida. Well, he's from Florida. He was their leading receiver, the Gators' leading receiver from this past year. Hops in the portal. He's a fifth-year player. Well, no, he's a fourth-year player. He's the fifth Florida player to enter the portal so far after the season ended. Now, I told you he's their leading receiver. And so you might think, oh, they're probably going crazy in Gainesville. They're panicked down there. They're not. This is a very unique time, this portal season of ours. It's a very unique time because sometimes when you lose a guy, there is a lot of freak out. Other times when you lose a guy, even if the production looks impressive and it looks like it's going to leave a major void, you get on the ground and you talk to the fans and they say, nah, oh well. I mean, you know, I wish him well. Oh well. That's kind of the collective way that Florida Gator fans have received this news. The net is that they're a lot more excited about what's to come with their program than they are upset that Jacob Copeland is going to leave. That's not to knock him. I'm just giving you the absolute, brutal, honest takeaway from Florida fans. Now, what could be the case here is Jacob Copeland could go find a new home and he could absolutely pan out and fulfill his immense potential out of high school. And he's not been a bad player by any stretch. He doesn't believe he's maximized his potential at Florida. For the record, I don't either. Whose fault that is, is a matter of opinion. But it could be that both parties are better off for this. This is a name to keep an eye on, though. There will be no shortage of suitors, I would imagine, for Jacob Copeland. Because everyone now wants their Jamison Williams. Everyone wants to be able to do what Bama did. That's not a comparison, to be clear. I'm not comparing one to the other. Everyone wants to strike gold. Everyone wants to hit that wide receiver lottery now. Which brings me to Corey Raymond. Corey Raymond's not a player, uh, but he is tied to many of them. Corey Raymond has long been one of LSU's staples in their recruiting machine down there under Ed Orgeron. He was their star recruiter, and the reason I'm talking about him in the past tense is because Billy Napier walks in. What did we say when Napier was hired at Florida? We do not have an opinion on him yet because we are waiting to see the staff he puts together. It's always my philosophy when you hire a coordinator or a coach from the lower level, the G5 level or whatnot. Well, he went and got Corey Raymond. And this sent shockwaves through Gainesville and Baton Rouge and really the entire SEC. There were a lot of folks surprised at this move. And so then the logical next question is, if we've got a new coaching staff at LSU, so maybe Orgeron recruited a lot of those guys with the help of guys like Corey Raymond. And since none of those folks are there anymore and the portal's wide open and we've already seen uh, several players just in the last 48 hours from LSU enter the portal, are they done? Is the exit door closed? Could a Keishon Boutte, for example, enter the portal? No, there's a lot of smoke about him. I think this bears close watching uh, because this is one where he didn't leave the conference. He just merely hopped over the division line. And these are teams, obviously, that play every year. And Billy Napier, you know, it's almost like the guy knows what he's doing. And so I would keep a close eye on LSU. This is, it's a natural process. 
it's a natural side effect of changing coaching staffs, but keep an eye on both those rosters. A another thing to keep an eye on for different reasons, Kevin Falk is not going to return as the running backs coach at LSU. Now, this dude has been through a lot. He's had personal tragedy in his life. So make, let me make it very clear. Everybody on this program wishes Kevin Falk nothing but the best. He's a staple at LSU, great dude, and someone who's, who's dealt with a lot of non-football-related issues. And so we wish him the best. Don't know if he's going to be retained in an off-field role or not. We just know he's not going to be an on-field coach there anymore. He's also heavily involved in the recruiting infrastructure down there. He single-handedly is responsible for a couple of really big guys they just got in the last recruiting cycle. Also, Quinn Ewers. We're probably going to update this every time we talk about the transfer portal until he commits somewhere, which could be as soon as next seven days or so. Quinn Ewers, of course, comes out of Texas. He's the number one player in the country, and he leaves in his senior year of high school. So foregoes his senior year, goes to Ohio State for a hot minute, doesn't pan out there. He's in the portal already again. So Quinn Ewers should be a high school senior right now, and instead he's already been in the transfer portal. Ah, God bless America. And so... He was in Lubbock, Texas this past week, not because he has family there. He actually visited Texas Tech. If that sounded disrespectful, it's just because a lot of people are surprised by it. Maybe you shouldn't be, but a lot of people are surprised by it. Now, he's got a visit to Austin this Saturday. So Mike Roach and all the dudes over on, and, and Taylor, I'm sorry about that, all the folks over on Horns 24-7 are keeping a close eye on that, and everyone is. So you'll know if he sneezes wrong, you'll know. But here's what I do want you to pay attention to. I was perusing, as I'm one to do, and I did notice that Brady Boyd entered his name into the transfer portal. Now, Brady Boyd means nothing to you in all likelihood, but Brady Boyd is a receiver who went to Minnesota, and he's in the portal now. And the reason his name matters is because he played at South Lake Carroll with Quinn Ewers. Now, there is some hot speculation this evening out there that maybe the two could be attached at the hip. And maybe if Brady Boyd goes to Texas Tech, it's a package deal with Quinn Ewers. I don't mean to baselessly speculate here, but I'm going to. Maybe that's the case. Who knows? At the very least, they're acquaintances. At the very least, they know each other. And at the very least, we know the smoke about Quinn Ewers and Texas Tech is real. So let's keep an eye. Because even the folks close to Texas have guarded optimism. Here's what guarded optimism means. I'm telling you what you want to hear, but dude, anything could happen at this point. That's really where I think we are. That's, I think, the best information there is to go on because I don't think Quinn Ewers knows where he's going yet is what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, last but not least, just keep an eye on all these new staffs, but also keep an eye on Mel Tucker and Michigan State. They're probably doing it again. I think they've already picked up two or three. They picked up another guy, a linebacker out of Mississippi State in the transfer portal today. Let's just keep an eye on Mel Tucker and Michigan State because you know they're ranked number one right now in our transfer portal rankings for what that's worth. There was talk this year amongst some when Mel Tucker got his extension that I can't believe you extended a guy just because he, he won some games one year. Well, he won six more games than the Vegas win total. So let's not just classify it as some games. Uh, the guy won more than double what he was supposed to win. Uh, but also there was talk that all he did was just go get a bunch of kids out of the portal. He didn't even put that team together. This is the new age of college football, guys. That counts. What Mel Tucker did last year is the 1997 equivalent of putting together a stellar recruiting class and developing it for two years and then popping it on everyone. I don't care if you like it. I, I'm, not here to, I'm not here to judge the merits of one way versus the other way. I've got my personal preferences, but they don't matter because reality is what it is right now. Uh, watch Mel Tucker because he's kind of 
put his stamp on this approach to roster construction. And if you look right now as we are six days away from early signing day and how many guys there are in these signing classes, you just start doing the math. Use your fingers. Not that high to count. Just start using your fingers and count how many guys your program has committed and how many they plan on taking next week. And then theoretically how many they may take in February, you're not going to get to 25 in all likelihood. And that's because everybody has a portal plan, the old PP, the portal plan. Some of them are going to pan out better than others. Some of them are going to be roster deficient because they swung and missed in the portal. Everyone's leaving wiggle room. In, in our production-based world, we call it accordion content. We put a segment on the beginning and endings of shows that we could go five minutes on or 15 minutes on. Well, everyone has got some accordion room now in those signing classes because of the transfer portal. Fascinating theater because someone's going to get burned and someone's going to strike it rich. And sure enough, they will be in the thick of the college football playoff discussion in November. And you'll say, all they did was use the portal. Yep. And therefore, all they're doing is winning games because of the portal. When you look at those incentives on the contract, it doesn't have an asterisk next to the win total that you have to eclipse based on how you got those wins. It just matters that you won. And with that in mind, we arrive really at the main event for the evening. I think we served up a lot of appetizers, but I want to serve you the entree now. A lot of you know the name Emmanuel Acho. Uh, Emmanuel Acho works over at Fox, and he covers college football. He's played the game, so I'm not going to sit here and say he doesn't know the game. I'm not going to say he doesn't watch the game. I'm not going to call him a clown. I'm not going to question his integrity or anything like that. I am going to say that he said some things I disagreed with this week, and it got a lot of you very, very hot. A lot of you were mad on the Internet this week. And I normally don't do this, but I figured, you know, I got some stuff to say about this anyway. So what Emmanuel Acho did, I'm about to play it for you if you missed it. He dusted off the most time-tested, go-to, break glass and push button if necessary, content creator in our industry. And that is screaming at the top of your lungs, SEC bias, because that brings them far and wide, all over the countryside. They come in when you scream SEC bias. No one is indifferent on this topic. They are, they are strong in their opinion, either agreeing or disagreeing. So I'm going to let you make up your own mind. We are about to play the sound. This is Emmanuel Acho a few days ago. And the context here is the college football playoff seedings and rankings and whatnot. And the matchups had been released. And I guess out of boredom, because I thought it was pretty clear cut, some people decided that they wanted to argue Georgia shouldn't have been third. Use whatever you want to in your defense of that. Some people decided Georgia shouldn't be third. And then other people just wanted to kind of say anything, but then when they got pushed back on it, I'm not saying they shouldn't be third, I'm just, I want to make an argument. What argument are you making? Anyway, that's the context. Here's what Emmanuel Acho posted, and we will react on the other side. See, the reason that Georgia made the playoffs is because we thought Georgia was great. But why did we think Georgia was great? Because of SEC bias. You see, Georgia beat Arkansas when Arkansas was ranked number eight. But by the end of the season, Arkansas had four losses at eight and four. They're not in the top 20. Georgia beat Kentucky when Kentucky was ranked number 11. But by the end of the season, Kentucky had three losses. They're not in the top 20. Georgia beat Auburn when Auburn was ranked number 18. But by the end of the season, Auburn had six losses, six and six. They not even ranked. So is Georgia one of the four best teams in college football? Maybe, but we were gonna believe so either way. 
College football is based off of a false premise. The premise every year is that the SEC from top to bottom is better than every other conference by a long shot. The SEC usually has two great teams. It'll be Bama and LSU. It'll be Bama and Georgia this year. But we start college football with the false premise. And so when you lose to an SEC opponent, that loss don't mean that much. When you beat an SEC opponent, that loss, that win means everything. Alabama, they have one win, not counting, that went over Georgia versus a top-ranked team. That's Ole Miss at number eight. Then you move to Michigan. Well, they have two wins versus number six, Ohio State. That's a top-ranked team. And again, Iowa, number 15. That's a top-ranked team. Then you get to Georgia. Georgia's best win was against number 19, Clemson. However, Cincinnati's best win was against number five, Notre Dame, and they won their championship game versus number 20, Houston. Yep. And so that was real life, what you just experienced there, all 90 seconds of it. Uh, I want to reiterate, Emmanuel Acho is not a bad casual. I don't even know if he's a casual at all. He is very dialed in. He watches the sport. He played the game. Sorry about that, Colin. He played the game. So we're not, we're not questioning his integrity. You can, you can dislike the opinion without disliking the opinion maker. Uh, what I want to do, though, is I want to remind you, if you understand the principles of this sport, you don't fall into this nonsensical trap. Because what he just did, to be clear, is he started with a falsely based opinion, and then he tried to reverse engineer some logic for it. Started with the conclusion, and then just tried to haphazardly throw some things in there that sounded cool. Uh, and they may have, if you're a casual, but if you eat, sleep, and breathe the sport, I don't care if you live in Spokane, Washington. If you watch this sport with an honest eye, you know that was nonsense. But if you don't already know, let me humbly make the argument for you here. This goes back to one of the big three lies in this sport, and that is you are what your record says you are. You are not, in college football, what your record says you are. That's on Sunday. On Saturday, there are gulfs between strength of schedules in this game. Case in point, he mentioned Georgia played Arkansas, and Arkansas was ranked eighth when they played him. But somehow, it's a negative for Georgia that Arkansas finished with four losses. Well, it's only a negative if you believe that very, very tired lie in our sport that you are what your record says you are. Let me give you an idea. Three of Arkansas's four losses, friends, were to Alabama, the current number one team in the country, Georgia, the current number three team in the country, and Ole Miss, by one point, by the way, the current number eight team in the country. Theoretically, you could be the ninth best team in the country and lose all three of those games if everything played out how it should. So are you a three-loss team or are you a top 10 team? You see how that works? You see how very, very quickly, if you lose to Eastern, Central, and Western Michigan, and I lose to Alabama, Georgia, and Ole Miss, well, we're both nine and three. You are not always what your record says. You are Arkansas. Body bagging them 37 to nothing was a heck of a statement win for Georgia. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Secondly, I want to talk about the other teams that were in contention for this thing because this is all comparative. It's all relative to who else is around you. So we're talking about Georgia there. And I've got to assume in criticizing Georgia, you disagree with where they're ranked. And at the very least, you have suspicion about it. So who else could it have been? Could it have been Cincinnati in that spot? Maybe just switch three and four? Okay, I, I don't disagree. I don't agree with that, but, but I'll, I'll listen to you. Is it Notre Dame? Notre Dame's outside the top four. They're at number five. Well, here's what I did. What I did to show you how ridiculous it is to judge teams solely based off what their record is in this sport instead of understanding the power rating process is I asked a couple of guys whose opinions I respect, and I also used our own odds making, and I just wanted to know, what would Notre Dame be? 
against Ole Miss? You know, what would Notre Dame be against Alabama and against Georgia? In other words, what if Notre Dame or Cincinnati had to play just those three teams that Arkansas had to play? Notre Dame, according to those three opinions I sought, would be a small favorite over Ole Miss. They would, of course, be big, or big underdogs against Bama and Georgia. Likewise, this is where it gets really interesting. Cincinnati is a dog against all three of these teams. Uh, according to most opinions out there. Uh, they are obviously a 14-point dog against Alabama. So the point is, you are not always what your record says you are. Now that's just to attack people who claim, well, bad record must not have been a quality opponent. But I also, I want to go to a specific quote there. Because this one is one that always really tickles me. Quote, according to Emmanuel Acho, we start college football each year with a false premise the SEC is better than every other conference. I don't know where that thought comes from, by the way. Uh, the SEC normally has two great teams, he says. That part I agree with. What's the follow-up? Because it seems to me the follow-up is the SEC has two great teams, but then the rest of it's no different than any other conference. Well, let's put that to the test. Because see, here's the flaw. Same thing happens in bowl season. The flaw, when you're trying to do a comparative analysis of one conference and another conference, when we're looking for conference supremacy and strength of conference, everyone always wants to remove the very top of the SEC. They want to shave the top of it off, but they don't want to apply the same standard to anyone else. In other words, if you're going to take Bama or Georgia out of the SEC, well, you got to take the best two teams out of any other conference too. So then we can accurately compare strength of conferences. I can take the third best team in the SEC, i.e. Ole Miss, and I can compare them against the third best team in the ACC, which would be like NC State. Or I could take the third best team in the Big Ten, which would be Iowa or someone like that. You can see quickly how that works, and I don't really think you want to go deeper than that because the best shot that a lot of those programs have is their three versus the SEC's three. You get down to the SEC's five and six versus the Big 12's five and six, it gets even uglier. If you were to hypothetically odds make all of this, you would have SEC favorites up and down the board. So the reason the perception is out there about the SEC is because it's true. But I want to go further. Think about the concept of SEC bias, not just this year, but in general. Let's just zoom it out. Any given year. Where does this come from? And consider, if this is real, if the SEC is not all it's cracked up to be and it's overrated, I want you to consider how many parties have to be involved in this sham, in this charade of SEC bias for it to really play out the way it has to. You obviously have to have the NFL in on this. The NFL, for the record, has seen fit to make the SEC the most drafted conference however many years in a row, Jesse. Look at the graphic. This isn't even a joke. The last 14 or 15 years in a row, the SEC's had more players drafted than any other conference. So the NFL's in on this for whatever reason. They are perpetuating this notion that the SEC is superior, even though allegedly they're not. Uh, you've got to have TV networks involved. I mean, TV networks have got to prop the SEC up, even though anyone in this industry understands that if anyone were to get propped up, it would be the Northeastern Corridor and the Eastern major markets and some in the Midwest, and then we would really want the West Coast involved. The last place geographically you would go is the South. And then thirdly, you know who else has to really be in on it? The College Football Playoff Committee, right? Don't they have to be in on the SEC bias? And so I told Jesse, told our team today, do me a favor, show me the committee, show us the committee. You spot the SEC bias. We've got affiliation with Kentucky, and that's where it ends. Iowa, Arizona State, Wyoming, Georgia State, NC State, Nebraska's on here. 
So far, we are one for seven. There's Colorado, Kansas State, Virginia Union, Penn State, whatever Energy Corp is. And then we've got a directional school from Notre Dame, Washington. Oh, Ty, Ty Willingham. Uh, there is one person with SEC affiliation on that committee. So you've got to find me the motivation for these people to have the SEC bias on the committee when there's only one SEC representative there. You got to find me. Where is the motivation to have that bias in the NFL? Where is that motivation amongst TV executives to have that bias? The motivation is opening their eyes and seeing what's right in front of them every single Saturday. You've got to try to not understand SEC bias. We've got it on this show because the conference is normally offering a better product on average than any other conference is. Therefore, sometimes you do get benefit of the doubt. I don't mind it. Next, next Wednesday, we're going to have National Signing Day, and we're going to watch like five or six SEC programs be parked inside the top 10. It's that way every single year. And so you watch all the talent come in the door in the South, and you watch the talent go out of the door to the NFL, but it just boggles your mind how anyone could assume that that product, in between the time the talent comes in and the talent leaves, may be a little bit better on average than the rest of the country. I just don't, I've never found it that hard to understand. Uh, so th that's SEC bias for you. SEC bias is real, yes. I just think it has a honest foundation under, with, uh, well, it's built on a solid foundation. And I think we just uh, pretty, pretty well articulated that. So I am very interested, probably more so than any show we've done in the last few weeks, to get comments on this show. Because we got the SEC bias. Of course, we've got our college football calendar. We've got the transfer portal churning nonstop. So there's a lot to say here. So I always flip through the comments. I respond to some of them. I see all of them, so I appreciate it. I also appreciate you guys subscribing to the channel. If you haven't already, that's really what we need you to do. We just need you to subscribe to the channel. Also, go find the podcast. I had a really good talk with Rusty Menzel on the podcast today. I rarely do that. I'm not talking to Rusty. I really talk to Rusty in a public forum for several reasons, none of which I need to get into here. But that was a really good talk. Find the podcast and give us a five-star review there. That's it. We're done begging. We're done begging. So thank you so much to producer Jordan, director Colin, our entire crew here. I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your evening, and God bless. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.